This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Lesson 37 of Equine Clicker 101 Podcast on Horse Radio Network. What to do when it all goes pear-shaped. Equine Clicker 101 is a podcast that takes you to the class to learn and practice clicker training for your horse. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. They are Nova Training and Cavalier Feeds. This is Shauna Karish, and in today's episode, what we're going to talk about is what to do when your horse gets it wrong. You know, what do we do? How do we deal with incorrect responses and things we don't want to see or them struggling to get the right answer? How do we help them to help minimize frustration and keep them in a good headspace as they're learning? So that's what we'll be talking about in our class today. One of the things that people ask me all the time is where do I buy clickers? Where do I buy targets? Where do I buy side buckets? Where do I buy books? Where do I buy whatever it might be? Well, you know, one of the places you can go is to my website and that you can go to shaunacarish.com or on-target-training.com and you will find, or vianovatraining.com and you will find, um, you can find all those things on my product page. So that'll take you to a place where you can find out a little bit more what's available or even, you know, get ideas for what you might want to make yourself because you don't have to buy it there. You can make some of these things. So anyway, that'll give you ideas what things are out there, maybe some things you want, and that's where you can go. Now, one of the things too is people also, as I said, it can take you to Via Nova training. Well, while you're at Via Nova training, I'm going to encourage you because the, the websites are link, going to be linked. Um, I encourage you to sign up for the newsletter. You can find out what we're up to here at Via Nova training and what we're doing on the road, when our workshops are, what things are new, what's happening. So you can go there and sign up for our, uh, for our newsletter. So why don't we learn a little more what Vianova offers and the, some of the things you can learn from Vianova. At Vianova, our mission is to bring awareness of positive reinforcement training to the mainstream equestrian world from the top competitors to the casual enthusiast. It helps to create happy horses and ultimately improves the athletic performance. So if you are performing with your horse, it can help you to have a happy athlete or it can have a happy trail horse, whichever you want. It creates a unique bond with your horse and it can be used to help save some behavioral issues on the ground or even under saddle. As I said, I'm based out of there and I have the expertise and experience that can help bring you to the next stage of the game. Also, Vianova offers coaching and education and positive reinforcement that enhances any training program. And we're based in lovely Santa Fe, New Mexico. So it's a great place to come for workshops or positive reinforcement, but also enjoy the Southwest scenery shopping and dining. And boy, do we have good dining. Visit vianovatraining.com and you can sign up for our newsletter and you can stay abreast of what's going on out here via Nova. Alrighty, here we go. All right, this is something that this came up this week for me because I've been working with Murray with our, you know, we're during the pandemic still and I have minimum time with him because other people need to be in taking care of the horses and doing stuff. So we're minimizing traffic in the barn and trying to keep everyone safe. So as I'm kind of getting back to seeing Murray, well, his criteria slipped all over the place. So I have a bunch of incorrect responses and you can see, I could, it was very clear to see sometimes when he's getting a little bit frustrated, he wanted to do one thing because it was easier. Or it didn't take as much thinking or whatever it was. He was just a little out of shape. And I thought, gosh, this is, this can be challenging for me who knows how to deal with it. So what's it going to be like for people who don't know how to deal with it as much or aren't as used to it. So we're going to talk about what to do and, and the options you can do and ways you can help hopefully get them back on track a bit. So you, you don't get frustration and have them feeling where they don't like this process or they don't like that behavior, whatever it might be. I think it's important to keep in mind 
that there is inherent stress in learning. That just is part of the part of the way it goes. There's, you know, if I sit down with a crossword puzzle and I love crossword puzzles and I sit down and I have a tough one, there is a little stress as I'm trying to figure out the answer and I'm, I'm gripping and biting my fingers or whatever I might be doing to try to sort it out. Well, we can have a degree of that with our horses. So we need to let them know that we can help to, they can walk away if they want to. I think that's really important. That's one of the reasons I love the Liberty work. If they want to walk away, if they continue to walk away though, that is pretty loud and clear communication. So you need to take that as this they're choosing not to do this. They're choosing to do something else instead, avoiding what's going on here. So we need to look at that and, and take that as loud and clear language. So if you see your horse walk away, one time it could be, you know, I'm more interested in the cat on the rail or, you know, some other another horse or what happens if. But if it, like I said, if it's a pattern and a routine, I think it's really important to keep in mind as we move forward. So so one of the things, one of the first things you want to do is, since there is inherent stress in learning, our goal is actually to try to help them become horses who enjoy and like problem solving. The more your horse likes problem solving and thinks it's great fun, the better off he's going to be as a partner and, and a horse is going to mean he's going to be better about learning future things. You know, because he's already decided, I like it when I'm trying to figure out what the puzzle is. And you've heard me say this before. It really, the training, when it all boils down to it, isn't really all about the food. It should be all about the game and the fun it is. The food's always part of it, but I think it's important that we kind of keep this balance there. So from the get-go, I start raising criteria, little by little by little. I start raising criteria and, and asking for a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. But there's an art form here because it's not too much. It's not, I'm not asking so much that they get discouraged or they think it's too hard or they feel lost or they, you know, I just go just a little bit, one criteria at a time. So one little piece at a time, think, but can we do it for a little bit longer, maybe just a touch. And then as they start learning this process and the further they get along with the training, the more they get it, you know, you can see them going, there's an answer here somewhere and I'm going to find it as opposed to, and just throwing up their little hooves and walking away. So it is something that we want to help them do. So, so that's something that's our goal and understanding that there is some inherent stress there. So we want to be very sensitive to how can we minimize any frustration or stress? So it's not, it's not overwhelming. It's not feeling punitive. You know, it's not feeling like this just isn't worth it. And, and then they, then also, you know, what can happen with that? The frustration can also come one because it's too hard but also not knowing how to get the food. That part is really important and it's really significant. If they're feeling like you're holding the food, but you're making it impossible to get, of course there's frustration. It's like if somebody's, you know, we've all seen this happen. Hopefully it hasn't happened to all of us, but you go to get in the car, somebody goes to get in the car and the person drives off a little bit and then you go to get in, they drive off a little bit. Well, that's not fun. Pretty soon you're like, that's just... I, this isn't working for me. I'm not going to do this. This is futile. So it's kind of can be the same thing. Or somebody's holding an ice cream sundae and they expect you to do impossible things. You're like, but I can't, you know, I can't do a backflip. So no matter what, I just can't do it. This forget it. I'm not going to be a part of this. And that can cause frustration. So we want to help them, um, learn to by gradually increasing criteria, increasing criteria, but keep it going. We will help them to learn to be problem solvers. The other thing I do, and different horses are different, you know, they're all individuals. But one of the things I really try to look for is their own personal try. I'm going to tell you this. A lot of people know who Minty is. If you watch, if you pull up um, YouTube, my YouTube channel, you will see a video of Mint and Mint and I getting together after seven years of being apart. So it is it is really cool to see. He has so much heart, so much try. He's so involved and happy to be back together that you would not know that when he was a little guy of about a year old, just over a year old, he would walk away from target training. Target training. 
target training is easy and I make it easy, you know, but he would walk away. He was like, it's too much for me. He was the biggest quitter of any horse I've worked with. The horse in the paddock next to him would be reaching over who I was not training would be reaching over saying, I will touch the target. And yet he didn't, I mean, he knew what, what I was looking for and Mint would just walk away. And so he was a really big quitter. I had to early on with horses, I really had to work on building up his confidence and looking for a little bit of try thinking that wasn't really the behavior that I would like to get to, but I like that you turn around and came back and got back to it. So I would try to look for those times until he developed into a horse with tons of try, but it's so keeping in mind that sometimes you have to look for that little try or that coming back or that I like what you're thinking kind of thing. When you can tell that, yep, that was a right. You gave me a good approximation towards it. I would have waited maybe an ideal situation for you to actually you know, put your foot on the thing. <laughs> I don't know the rock, but instead I'm going to take it when you just even think about shifting your weight to free up that leg to be lifted. So keeping in mind that sometimes those approximations are really tiny and certain horses are going to need more encouragement and smaller little pieces like that to help build their heart and their try. So that is that is just something to know that individual and look for those things. But you may have a horse who's great, 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 lots. Of, and then you get to one thing that every other horse you've worked with has been quite successful and found it very easy. And that horse finds it very challenging. It doesn't mean you start thinking you should do this. You should know this. It doesn't matter for them. If that is challenging, that is their truth. That is their reality. And I say, okay. It's my job to make it where you have smaller steps and more success so we can help them to stay on track a little bit. So that is one of the things that is kind of a preventative thing, you know, where I go out and I try to look for those things and recognize that this can be harder than it can seem to me. I'm a human who can think through it and have a lot of you know compassion for where they are and how challenging that this might be for them. Now, the other piece is there is a, something I actually do in response to incorrect behavior. This is something that we did develop at SeaWorld and we, SeaWorld, and what we did is when they did something wrong, we called it the least reinforcing stimulus or the least reinforcing scenario. Um, it started off stimulus. I think then it went to scenario, but the, because we developed it and now it's, it's, it's widely held in the, in the animal training world and the dog world, you know, so it's, it's a way to respond to incorrect responses. So the least reinforcing stimulus, and I'm going to tell you a little bit where it came from. What we started observing happening is that the whales would go out and do things, do a behavior, it would be incorrect. Now, if they thought they did the behavior correctly, they would come to stage and put their little chins on stage. But they weren't doing that. They were coming back and then they would spy hop, which means they get straight up and down and they kind of bob up and down with their eye closest to the stage so they can watch and take in what's going on. It's a way that they can get a good look at something. So they would do a behavior incorrectly and then come back and spy hop. It became very clear they were looking to see what happens if I do it wrong. So it dawned on everyone that, well, we, if you're choosing to do it incorrectly, you're finding it more reinforcing than the actual food. <laughs> so basically our behavior and our responses, because they were so diverse from person to person, we actually were reinforcing them for doing things incorrectly. And it was, you know, as well-established behaviors that they knew, you know, that they, it was very clear you're choosing to do this incorrect, you know, one off and you think maybe they didn't get it, but it was a pattern that was developing. So we decided we needed a very unified and, and simple and least reinforcing thing we could do. So what we did is we gave them, at first we called it a three second pause. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't do three seconds. That, that seems abnormally long to me, actually. I kind of give them, to me, it feels like a pregnant pause. So let's say I'm, I'm working with Murray right now on, um, as, as we've come back to working together and I had a, I'm having a particular issue 
And so as he, he keeps doing it wrong, and I'm going to work with him today in our lab time. And so as he keeps doing it wrong, what I do for each incorrect response, I make eye contact. So I make sure I'm not wearing sunglasses or anything. I make eye contact and say, I see what you did there. I mean, I don't literally say this, but in my head, I am hoping the eye contact signifies I saw you, I saw what you did, but you notice I'm just standing here relaxed and I'm not reaching for food. I'm not reinforcing you in any way. I'm making eye contact, pregnant pause. Okay, move on. And then so I can move on to do something else very quickly. So it doesn't, um, it's a way that I acknowledge their incorrect response with a lack of response from me, either good or bad, just a nice neutral response. And so in, in the first point, I don't think they actually really notice, but after a bit, they realize, oh, she's giving me the pause. This, this does indicate I'm not going to get reinforced, but in a second later, I'm going to have another cue. Another opportunity is right on the heels of it. So it is not something that feels like a timeout because it is very brief and it is very succinct and it's very, it's very much filled with, yeah, or, or filled up right on the heels of it with doing either trying it again, if I think it's a pretty successful behavior or I'll back up a step. And if I think, oh gosh, you, you know, maybe we got to try something else for a bit. You're not in the mood to do that. Or so it doesn't really, that part doesn't matter, but I give them another opportunity right behind it to get reinforced. So this is a tool that is very effective and they do start to get the idea. Okay that indicates that I didn't have the correct response. So maybe I get to try again. Maybe we'll go on for something else. And so the, and, in the, and if I didn't make eye contact with them, if I didn't stop to acknowledge that for a second, they may not think I even noticed. Or I actually risk that my next action may be reinforcing unto itself. So for that brief, I just, it's a break in momentum where I say, yep, I'm going to pause for a second, make eye contact, and then we move on. So as we call that, the, it's called the LRS, the least reinforcing stimulus turned down to this short little, this little thing that the uh, little acronym that people use. So the LRS is, um, is, is widely recognized and used. And I find it's a really good way to indicate that that was incorrect response. It breaks up the momentum. I acknowledge that they did the behavior. And I find that they very quickly start realizing, oh, that means that I didn't do it correct. And I think it gives them good information for them to realize that wasn't the correct response. Now, as I said, sometimes I may go, I may go cue the behavior again if I feel pretty confident that I think he just missed it and he didn't get it. And I would try it again. And if he didn't get it, the next, but it may be that I just move on, think it really wasn't that important. I'll come back to that in a minute. So I'm going to kind of evaluate that if I feel like, let's say I thought, you know, maybe Murray didn't want to do it because maybe he hurts, you know, maybe that's not, he hurts his back today or whatever it might be. You know, the problem that I was having that I'm going to address is I've been capturing the lay down. And all he would do the other day was lay down, lay down. He laid down like eight times, you know, in one session. You're like, I didn't even ask for that, you know, but he would. So he'd get up and I would just pause and we'd move on to something else. So let's say, though, you know, since this is a new behavior for him and they oftentimes get a little, little excited about their new behaviors. So he's kind of put it together. He thinks this is great. I'm just going to lay down, lay down, lay down, lay down, lay down. I promise you, if I asked him to lay down eight times, I wouldn't get it. <laughs> but he just was a little excited about it. So he, um, but let's say he didn't do it and I did ask for it. I might think, you know, maybe your back or your neck is sore or, you know, who knows what. Or So I, I wouldn't necessarily go right to it. I may go on to do some other things and kind of start evaluating maybe a little bit closer. Do you seem like you're okay? Like, do I feel like you're physically okay as we do other things is your attitude in the right place are you with me yes 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 and then I may ask again if I didn't get it the second time I would then have an evaluation to make do I go back to the steps that helped you to learn this or do I think perhaps there's something else going on in the case of Murray, who has so much try and when in doubt I would rather you suspect there might be something else going on and move on to something else and see if you can't check that out a little bit more later or come back to it a little bit later if he'll do other active things that show you it's not a physical pain. So I, 
And so I, sometimes I just drop it and think, I'll try it again tomorrow. And if it happens, you know, a couple days in a row, then I may start going, okay, maybe now what do I need to do? Check with the, always check physical first. If it's not physical, maybe I need to go back and remind them of the steps of how we got to the place in the first place. So I hope that is making sense to all of you. So now I'm going to tell you a little thing about, um, one of the reasons I love shaping things with using the target is because then I can recreate things. So if I've used the target to create the successive approximation towards a behavior and I've reinforced all those steps along the way, and let's say I've taught him a spin and my spin isn't the whizzy spin. It is a walk in a circle spin. Let's say I've taught him a spin and he's not quite getting it. Well, that's easy enough to go do. I can get the target back out and go through the approximations and create it, remind him how we got to that behavior. As I said, with Murray's lie down, I am, I've captured it. I didn't use the target for it. I captured the behavior. So when I captured the behavior, it's harder to go back and create those successive approximations because they weren't taught so in such steps, you know, I, I've, I've bridged selectively clicked and bridged along the way, but I haven't actually created them utilizing the target. So I'm a big fan of creating behavior using the target, but I have taught the lie down using the target before. And I don't think it was easy for me or the horse to do it. You know, it was, he was a young, robust game for anything kind of horse, but it was, it was a challenge. So I find that in that situation, it's easier on both of us if I capture it. So that's a little aside, but going, being able to go back and create those successive approximations, those building blocks that built the behavior, you can, you can go help and remind them how to do it. But if it is a really physical behavior, I really need to suspect and double check before I push on that is not a physical thing. Okay. So I think I kind of covered things. This is really what I want you to learn about is the LRS. And it's a great tool for utilizing um, for when you have incorrect responses. And if you continue to get an incorrect response, the point is you should go back and help them and use your approximations to remind them. Don't, there's no, there's no loss in there. Don't take it personally. Don't feel you know, slighted or mad or they're not smart or whatever it is to say for whatever reason you lost your way and you don't really remember how to do this. So I'm going to kind of remind you how we got there and take those steps to go back and then just getting them back on track. Now there is also a time when I have, you know, sometimes I continue to get really, really incorrect responses. Like I, they're walking off, they're walking off a lot and it looks very deliberate in that situation. If they're going to walk away, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll say, well, if you don't want to engage, that's okay. That's your choice. I mean, they're walking away from me. They're not saying I'm not doing this behavior, but they're walking off and doing things. I say, that's fine. That is your choice. You don't have to do these training sessions, but I've got other things to do. And then I go on my way and do other things. And then I'll come back in a few minutes. But I think it's important to keep in mind, if you're getting that big of a no, something bigger is, is going on. So it is a, a, a challenge and a balance. Don't just write it off and disregard it. Try to help them get back on track. But there's times that all horses go, I'm not, I don't feel like doing a session now. And you just go, okay, well, you don't have to do a session now. I'll come back a little bit later and we'll try again later. So I think that that is, that is an occasional occurrence. If it is a regular occurrence, then they're finding it more reinforcing to walk away and ignore you than they are to stay engaged in the training session. So why could that be? One, it could be too hard. It could be that you have, so before I ever walk away from them, I be sure I, I go through this checklist in my head. One, is my rate of reinforcement too low? Is my value of a reinforcer too low? Is the behavior I'm asking for too challenging, which goes with the too low, but, but I think there, you know, you need to look and think, yeah, you will do this for, you know, you'll work for this food and this amount for every other behavior, but not this one. So maybe it's a challenge there. But then I think, and, and the first thing I think really, are you off? 
Are you okay? Is everything okay with you? Everything okay in, you know, physically, mentally? Are there new things going on in the environment that aren't normally here? Is there a new horse next door? Is there a, you know, there's a jacket on the fence and maybe that's more worrisome than I thought. So I, I look at, think, I consider physical. I consider physical meaning not just their body, but the environment. And then I think is the rate of reinforcement too high or too low? Is the value of the reinforcer too low? Is this too challenging for what the reinforcer is? Is it too physically challenging and you're not ready to do this? And and have I really taught it? Did I think you had the criteria? Did I think you had it and you really didn't? Or is this a solid behavior? So sometimes I evaluate all those things and go, nope, this is you. And that's all there is to it. And so if he walks away, I just go, okay, that's all right. But if I see that behavior happening more than once, then that definitely needs to be considered differently. Now I have to start thinking, this is a pattern and patterns are different than I just wasn't quite right today, you know, or I just didn't feel like it today, or I'm tired today, or, you know, who knows what reasons they've chosen. So I think that that is an important distinguishing thing that you need to keep track of. And then the other piece in there is, uh, this is just a good example. I had my little horse, George. George was as bold as they come. He was as curious as they come. He was, he was bold. He was curious. He loved life. He loved everything. He knew life. He loved new experiences. And one of the things I did with him is this was, you know, 25 years ago, he's going out on the road to do demos and expos and, you know, he was out in new places all the time. Well, I needed him to be able to focus. So what I also did in that situation, I recognized he would go in a new environment and think, oh, look at all this stuff. I must go see it all. Okay. I get that. I understand that. And I understand why that is valuable. But if you're going to be a horse that needs to do demos, which I mean, he didn't need to, but it was right up his alley. He just, he just needed to learn to focus a little bit more. So what I would do is I would in the beginning, when I kept seeing this and thought, I have no horse, you know, he's just all over the place. This doesn't really, it isn't a good example of the positive reinforcement. And I thought, well, I can work through this. I have the skills to help him with this. So what I had to do is recognize what he finds important, you know, and in, in that situation, what did he value? What was most reinforcing to him was to have time in that arena. So I, to whatever arena, because they're going to be new arenas. So what I would do is I would go into the arena. I would ask him to target once, give him a pile of food, and then I would step away and let him explore. He could finish his pile of food because I'd put it in a bucket. And then he had time to go explore his environment. And then pretty soon I would do two targeted, two targets, and then he could go explore his environment. And then I do two targets and a spin and then two targets and a spin and a head shake. And then two till eventually I could go in, but I always made sure that I provided what he was finding more reinforcing than even the food, which was to go explore that environment. So I provided it for him. I made sure I did it and I built it up to it was a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until he could do a full session and leave even. But I really tried to be sure that at the end of the session, he got his magnitude reinforcement of a food jackpot, but he also got time to explore the arena and, and get to see all the things that were so curious to him. So in utilizing or recognizing maybe what they value more, but using it at your discretion is an important tool. But I would tell you when I went, when I was first having to teach it at home, when he's like, well, I'm just in, he was a baby and he wanted to be babyish. You're like, that's fine. I give you plenty of time to have baby time all the time. But, but if you don't want to do it at the time that I have set aside for us to do a session and you just want to wander, that's fine. I'm going to go do a session with Mint and I'll come back and see you in a few minutes. So he got to have that time, but pretty quick. He started realizing, but I don't want you to leave. I do want to do the sessions at home because at home it was a lot less exciting than it was when he's in a new environment. But so I would walk away and just come back in a few minutes and, and do it again. And that he didn't find that really punitive. I guess he did because the behavior stopped, but it was, but it wasn't super fast. But again, at the end of the session, I made sure that I gave him the things he valued. 
So when it was done, I would bring somebody or a few other horses in to play with him in the indoor arena, put toys in there and let him have playtime. So we kind of recognize I focus now, I get to do my session, I get my food. And then to, to finish it all off, I get to play in the indoor arena or the pasture, wherever I am. I get to play in here with my friends and extra toys and, and you know, toys with food in them. So there's a way that I could balance that out. But it was important that I had to shift that behavior in order to be able to demonstrate and help more horses, if that makes sense. Anyway, so those are kind of some examples and different things that I did to help address some unwanted behavior. And I think it's also important too for you as the person, you too can get frustrated. I will tell you when Murray wouldn't stop laying down the other day, well, I just wanted to say, stop. And I didn't, you know, instead I just said, okay, let's try this. Let's try another thing. Can we move on? I'm going to walk away over here. Can you follow? And, and tried to break it up till I got him on track a little bit, but I could be frustrated too. If I couldn't keep it together. And I think it's important that you be able to sometimes be able to walk away for a minute. So if you're not having, if you're getting yourself in a frustrated place, try to find a good place to end with your horse because it's not their fault at that part. It's, it's up to you to come up with a new plan. And so I try to get to a place where I feel like, okay, I'm going to step away for a minute. I need to come up with a new plan. Maybe I have to assess, what should I do? How should I do this? Is it physical? Is it not enough, not a high enough rate of reinforcement? Is he having trouble with you know, the, the behavior, is it, is he hurting whatever it might be? And then I can regroup and get a better plan in my mind and go back in and see if I can't get it sorted out. If you're really out of sorts, just get to a good place. If you can find something decent, you know, give them a reinforcer, put them home or, or walk away, whatever you would normally do. And then come back again tomorrow. Sometimes the behavior, oftentimes this behavior that we can get stuck in this cycle with will be better tomorrow. They just kind of forget. And you know that saying, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Well, that can, that can happen. You know, pretty soon we're saying, do it, do it, do it. You're not doing it. Let's, and sometimes if you just go forget it, I'm not even going to do it. I'm going to do something else I'm just going to let that behavior go for now. Cause it's not, you're not into it today. And then you come back tomorrow. Oftentimes they're just back to where they were and they're in a better place with it. So sometimes it is good just to go, you know what? No big deal. But it is kind of information that you need to take in first and then decide how am I going to deal with this and what I'm going to do. But again, the basic thing I really wanted you to learn is about the LRS and that immediate response to incorrect behavior. Give them that pause and then move on to something and, and be ready to reinforce. And I'll tell you too, one of the things with George, when he would, if, when he started, when he was at home in the indoor and I was trying to get it, help him to learn that you walk away and you will have time, but I'm going to go do my own thing. So the, one of the things I do, if he came right back and thought, uh Oh, I get it. You are going to leave and I don't actually want you to leave. And he would come right back. I would go right back in and say, well, then let's try again. I wouldn't have him wait. I would just say, I like your refocused thing, your refocused attitude and let's get back to working. And so, cause all of, for him, it was all about focus and trying to help him to focus. Anyway, there you go. That's a kind of a lot of pieces there that can, and, and I think the tricky part is this will happen from day one in all sorts of situations. So where you'll need to, you know, you're going to get incorrect responses to the behavior you're looking for. So I think it's an important skill to have. I think getting myself to stop and give the proper pause <laughs> can be harder for me too. Sometimes I'm, I'm anxious to get to the next thing and move on or try again, or, you know, I'm a little wanting to keep going. So sometimes for me to stop and just soften, I relax my shoulders. I make eye contact and say, uh-huh. Okay. Moving on. And it becomes an effective communication. So it's a great way to help rebalance. It's like a reset for both you and your horse. It's a way to go, well, that wasn't quite right. So let's slow down. Let's stop for a second. Let's take a, a, a relaxed pause. You're going to make sure you're the relaxed one and then you move on. So it's a way to deal with the incorrect behavior. Okay. So there you go. I think that's a, hopefully a good overview there and it fits to anything. It's going to go on your entire life working with animals that you're going to have incorrect responses. So it's a good habit to develop a good skill to get developed and start utilizing when you have correct responses, incorrect responses.
Okay, because if they're correct, you just feed them. <laughs> All right, I want you to go ahead and get your stuff together. Go get your horse now and get set up. And we will go to our arena with our horses and our side buckets. And I always have a target just in case. And I will meet you in a few minutes. Alrighty, folks. So Murray and I are already in the arena and I just going to start. So I'm getting right to it a little bit. Um, I'm just starting with, like I start most sessions, I just stop and stand quiet, relaxed. He stops, keeps him head to himself and he stands with me for a moment or two. So I'm going to click and reinforce that. I always like to start, uh, you hear this a, a, a million times by now, but I really like to start with just a nice quiet behavior. I want that behavior to be a good default behavior. It's a good thing to do if, and I'm stand, doing it again with him, so I'm going to click and reinforce, because as I just stand here and talk, that he can stand relaxed next to me is really strong and good for me. A good, I like this. And I do, I, I consider this his default behavior because I want him, when in doubt, if he doesn't know, instead of trying a million things, I would like him to come line up beside me and just stand quietly as a reset on his own. So he can, he can give me a pause, you know, he can give me an LRS in a way and say, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to come here and I'm going to settle. And again, I have built into this default behavior where I look for soft everything. So when he stands next to me, I want him to soften with his body. I want him to not look tense in his head, his eyes, his neck, his ears, his mouth, his lips, his nose. I want all those things to look like he stood beside me and kind of softened his shoulders a bit, just a, a relaxed stance. So that's what I, uh, I encourage throughout my session so I can go from high energy back to something that brings him to creating relaxation in his body. So that's excellent and okay. So now I'm going to ask him for a spin. A lot of these behaviors are things that have been new. These are kind of his fun repertoire that we're working on. They're new for him, but then I was traveling a bit and then we had the pandemic. So I didn't keep these kind of, they didn't get to the point where like mint, they're going to be solid all the time, no matter what, you know, it's just, it is, he's done them forever with Murray. There's still enough where he really has to think through it a little bit. So I, uh, and he's so, acutely aware of his environment that that we have that little piece in there so i'm going to ask for a spin so for this i just step in that direction i say spin okay okay so he did the spin but what he did he gave a big pause halfway in so i i i clicked him as he got his feet moving back towards me so he had this big pause in there himself where he kind of went halfway around and then he continued to walk with his front feet the rest of the way. So I click the going of his front feet. But if I get that response again, I'm, I probably won't reinforce that one. So let me ask again, because I don't want that to be developed in there. We kind of got that out of there. It was like a superstitious stop on his part. So we got that out of there, but he just did that again. So a murmur, can you spin? Okay, good boy. So he continued on. It was a tiniest little pause, but then he got his feet going. I clicked the continuation of his front feet moving towards me. So remember, you always want to click the part you want to see more of. So what was the problem? It was a stopped in the front. What I needed, I thought at this point, what I need is those front feet to move. So I'm going to draw attention to that part for a while when we do our spin. Okay, so that one was good. As we walk on, we're going to ask for a backup. This is, again, something he's learning. He doesn't quite have the, you know, the go get him attitude that, that Minty does with his backup yet, but we'll get there someday. So he's going, and he's doing six, seven, eight, good. And so I clicked on that because he gave me eight steps. That's all the further we've gotten so far. And I try to click for those back feet because those seem to be more of the locomotors than the front feet. So if I get the back feet going, it seems like that's what kind of revs up and gets, uh, gets them to eventually go faster. So that was good. Okay. And now we're coming up here. And surprisingly, he, okay, we're going to just stop for a minute. And I'm just going to do a little bit of Liberty Leading. 
So we're walking and we're trotting. Okay, perfect. And now I'm going to work on his cha-cha. So this means his, my right foot goes forward. I want his foot to go forward. And there, and okay, so now he goes for a lie down. And this is where I discovered this yesterday a little bit. So in my head, I think to myself, maybe it's the feet. I'm drawing attention to the feet. You know what? Okay, I just had a second. Okay, all right. I'm going to give him a jackpot for a second. So he he just moved his front foot forward with me, and that was that was good. It was just a step forward, essentially. I'm going to give him a jackpot for a second because I, I want to – I'm going to talk about something I just realized I've seen. So when he was doing the backup for when I do, here's a little bit more. So I put in a little bucket so he can eat. I'm going to talk to you guys for a second because this is me. I'm actually going to leave the, the arena for a second. So I'm going to give his jackpot a little bit bigger. I'm going to get out and I'm going to talk about something for a second that I just kind of realized. Okay, perfect. So he's in there eating and I'm out here talking to you guys. One of the things I noticed, what I do for his lay down is I kind of have, you know, first it was just pure capturing it. When he would lay down uh, or even start to paw, I would click and then he would come over. It would disturb his lay down. You know what I mean? He was just going to lay down because that's what he does. And then, um, and he used to not lay down in the arena at all because he was too nervous. And then he got where he's more comfortable and he would. So I started clicking when he'd lay down. And so he'd come over and get reinforced. But then what I'd start doing is clicking when he pawing, because that's what happens before the lay down. Then when he was doing it, you could see him kind of do it and then look over. I knew that he was getting the idea that you like this. You know, he's starting to put two and two together because he'd start the pawing and then look up at me and then start the pawing and look up at me. And so I, it was very clear now that he thought you like this. This is, it's starting to have some meaning to him. So as I would go in with him, I would then go in and I would start pawing with my foot. And then I'd kind of, he, he has a tendency to go and I pay attention to all this stuff. He has a tendency to go to his right. So I would rock to the right and I would paw with my foot and then he would start pawing. And then it would turn into the lay down. So a cue for the lay down right now is a little bit of me with my feet going and his head going down. But what I realized when I do the cha-cha, which is where I remembered having problems last time, it's having his head down looking at my feet. So it could be that he's thinking head down, look at my feet. Okay, and then the other time I noticed he kept doing it is when he'd do the backup, and I kept reinforcing for him to get real momentum with the backup, he needs to get his head down so he can see where he's going. I mean, that's I don't create that, but he, that's, Minty was the first one that taught me that. If he's going to go at the rate and the pace and the distance that he goes, he needs to know what's behind him. And the best way for him to see what's behind him, it was to lower his head and kind of see where his feet are landing. And so, when he's also doing the backup, I want him to kind of put his head down a little bit more because he goes faster even when he puts his head down. And so he's putting his head down and his feet are going. So I think he might be thinking that the head down is, is a, whenever he's getting his head down, he kind of gets sucked into doing the lay down. So I think there's a little bit of confusion here with our cues. So what I'm going to do this is now this is getting all off track. I'm going to take a target in me in with me or well, I have a target with me, but I'm going to use the target. I have it on my belt. So I will use it. So when I ask for the backup, I'm going to introduce the target and keep guiding him with movement backwards. And then when I ask for the cha-cha, I think I'm going to use a target with that. I've just been having him follow my feet, but I think I'm going to use the target so what now I'm doing, you guys, I'm recognizing that whenever he puts his head down, he may think the cue is my head goes down, I lay down. My head goes down, I lay down. Versus I'm thinking it's me with the pawing, you know, and as he gets to pawing. So I am going to use the target to bring clarity to the other parts. So I may not even get a chance to really address the... Uh, 
this is may be a non-issue in this situation, but, but there we go. Let's go try. Okay. So I'm going to go back in with him and I'm going to step. I'm going to start with a kind of in our default position, standing side by side, him standing calmly behind me. I reinforce him for that. It's also kind of become a bit of a cue to start a session with him. And so now I'm going to ask him for the backup. As he starts the backup, perfect. I'm going to step in with my target and guide him the rest of the way. Good. And uh, okay. So what I clicked on was when his head was down, but his feet were moving. So it wasn't head down. Now I'm going to lay down, head down. I'm going to lay down, head down. I'm going to shuffle, lay down. So I kind of tried to give a little clarity to that. So what I have is a lack of cue discrimination. I think that he he's thinking one thing and not the other, but the lay down is so new. It is, it's not, it's not surprising really. Okay. So now that was good. And I jackpotted him for that. Now I am actually going to ask for the lay down because I want to make it clear what this looks like. So I'm going to walk a little, we're going to walk about 20 feet away from that spot. And I'm going to very distinctly and largely start um, shuffling my feet, digging in the dirt with my feet. So he can see that that is very clearly, I'm making it bigger than it normally is. I was making it kind of subtle, but I'm going to make sure it looks like a swinging foot digging at the dirt. And he's laying down. Perfect. So as he lays down, he kind of goes into the roll for a, a phase and then he stops and I feed him. So that's good. And I fed him for that. Now, the other place we had the problem is with the, um, is with the cha-cha. So I'm not going to actually work on the cha-cha today. I'm going to leave it be. I'm going to work on the cha-cha separately. I just want to get the difference between lay down and back up for now. So now I'm going to ask him for a backup again. And he's doing it good. Now, he didn't really get his head down, but I'm not going to worry about that. And then I'm going to ask for another backup and backup. Good. Okay. And I'm just going to reinforce that. Now, I'm going to ask for the spin again. I'm going the other direction this time. All right. And he stopped halfway. Okay. So when he comes back to me, I'm going to give him a three-second pause. Or not an LRS. It's not even three seconds. I'm going to give him a pregnant pause. And that was, there we go. And let's try it again. And I am going to try this one again. Can you spin? And there he goes. And that was a good one. He didn't pause at the back. He kind of kept it pretty much fluid, a little hesitation, but, but better, you know, not really like he did last time. So I'm going to click and feed that. Okay. So I'm going to end this little bit of a session here and we didn't deal with the, the LRS as much as I thought we would, because I recognized really what the problem is, but isn't that the point? You know, it's up to me to figure out how can I set you up for success? How can I get you on track? And so I like that I kind of recognized and thought, oh, you know, that other part, you'd always do this on the backup too and thought head down on both of those things, looking at feet. So I, it's up to me now to bring some some clarity between those, those cues and I kind of help recognize maybe what was confusing him. Because really, it, when you have a learner like Murray now, he really does like learning. He likes doing it. So I'm just com communicating, okay, that one's not going to get reinforced. Let's just move on. It shouldn't be that there is a problem. In this situation, there really was something going on because it was a, a common thing he was doing. And so that was, I like that it, it, this helped me to sort it out. So thanks, you guys. Anyway, so I'm going to wrap up with him here. I prefer him not to practice incorrect responses. I find more they practice incorrect responses, the stronger they become part of their repertoire. So I like that I found a way to help really set him up for success and get him on the right path. And I have a goal that I can, is a little clear to me now and what the, what the struggle may have been. So, and because they didn't ask to be, they didn't ask to be trained. We decided this for them. So it's up to us to be sure that we are helping to make what is important to us clear and fun and exciting for them and not to create frustration or, or, or get irritated with them not knowing it. That's all on us. 
Anyway, so there you go. Let's go. I'm going to wrap it up with Murray here. I've given him his jackpot. I'm going to go ahead and put him away. And we will talk a little bit more about the least reinforcing stimulus when you're done. So get to a place where you're a horse. Hopefully, maybe not. But if you've had some incorrect responses, you started to utilize that a little bit, get a little bit of a feel for it. And we'll talk and we'll talk about homework in a little bit. All right. See you back in the classroom. All righty. So homework, of course, is so important because it's a place that gets us skilled. You got to practice things, get better at them. So we're going to talk a little bit more about where do we go from here in the classroom. One of the things that people ask all the time, however is what do we feed? What should I feed? You want to definitely check with your, your vet and be sure you're working with a diet that is within your horse's needs, what they need nutritionally, and, and making sure we're not giving them something detrimental to their health if you have an insulin-resistant horse, for instance. So one of the things we use here is Cavalor feeds. Cavalor feeds are fantastic. They're minimally processed. They really have great things uh, for, for the equine athlete. So let's learn a little bit more about Cavalor feeds. Cavalor is a horse feed supplement and care product company that was founded in Belgium 30 years ago and they have been producing feed for the U.S. market since 2012. Its nutrition is based in the way horses are meant to eat. Cavalier's philosophy is based around mimicking the horse's natural diet and how they would eat in the wild, while recognizing that the demands we put on them today are different than wild horses of long ago. One of the things I love about Cavalier is that their products are natural, backed by research and science, and are proven to be effective. That's why Cavalier was a feat of choice for over 100 riders in the most recent World Equestrian Games, for riders in every discipline and from countries around the world. Not only do they make feet, but they also have a complete line of supplements and care products. If you've struggled with any kind of nutritional issue with your horse, you know that all products don't really work as advertised. So that's why Cavalier is unique. Their products don't make it to the market until they have been proven effective in making noticeable differences in the issue a horse is facing. A lot of times we have behavioral issues with horses, but a lot of these issues actually have a nutritional root. With the positive reinforcement or clicker training, we strive to help the horses to be truly happy. To me, part of that, that philosophy well, really a big part of that philosophy includes making sure I'm doing everything I can to ensure their emotional as well as physical well-being. There's no denying that a good diet is a huge factor in that equation. The best part of Cavalier's team is that, is that they're so easy to work with. You can reach out to them through their website or Facebook page and a real live person will call you back to personally talk you through your horse's nutrition. Learn more about the products at www. Cavalor.us or reach out to them through their Facebook page, Cavalor North America. You'll be glad you did. Okay, it's homework time. Well, you know, this homework is going to be an ongoing forever thing, to be honest with you. I think I think the part that is the trickier part is getting you to practice it. So recognizing that whenever the behavior is incorrect, what do you do? And how do you respond that you can be consistent and have and be the least reinforcing? One of the things that's really a big challenge with even correcting horses, that we can actually be reinforcing incorrect behavior. So how do we ensure that what follows an incorrect response isn't reinforcing? We do something neutral, something very generic and very consistent. And that is one of the best ways to ensure that our next response to an incorrect behavior is not going to be reinforcing it. With baby horses, it's, I, I mean, I, I actually hear this all the time. And I've told you this story before in other podcasts, but it's the, you'll have young horses that like a, a baby colt. So a colt now starts to be separated because he's finding everything a little more mountable, you know, so, so he stops being out with his, his friends and stuff. Well, they're social. They need social time. It's part of their, what they need to be raised, but it's common for people to take them out of that social environment. And so what starts happening is they start looking to the human to do their social things. Well, a young Cole, it, it's in their DNA to, to have a, a big play drive 
you know, they're going to, they want to have a play drive because they have to prepare for being a stallion who's going to fight with the mare and going to fight for his place in the herd and all the things and fight with the other stallions. That's, that's one of the things that, that the play serves them for later purposes in life. So then the little baby feels a really strong play drive and wants to play and wants to play and nobody will play with him. And then they're brought into the barn for little bits to kind of learn different things. And he starts kind of sparring with the person. And then it is so common for the human to smack back, to smack them. And, the, and, and, the, and it'll just keep going. And all of a sudden the horse is like, perfect. We're playing just like I want to with my friends because horses, you know, you know, young colts, they play kind of hard, but so they, it can be actually quite reinforcing. And if that behavior, if any behavior increases and maintains in frequency, something's reinforcing it. So, so a lot of times I'll work with horses that, and it's usually had been, it started in their colt days as you talk to the owners, if they know, and if they, they started biting when they were young and being first worked with. And it is, and it, it was just play, you know, but now as they've learned that this is fun, now we get to spar and play the game. So if any behavior increases, maintains a frequency, something's reinforcing it. And when you stop and look, oftentimes our actions can be quite reinforcing, even when we think we're being correct, doing corrections. So I think that's all important. So practice and and I think it is it is a challenge too when when something does go wrong. So I was working with a little uh, little young horse not so long ago, and she nipped at me, and she just sat there with her ears up, and she looked bright and soft, and and it was exploration. Now a lot of people want to react big to that. Well, you can either scare them, or you can be, uh, so you can scare them. You can damage the relationship. Punishment is very damaging. And uh, for there's some horses that are okay with it, but more often than not, they you've done some damage and you've taken something away from that relationship. So the best thing you can do is so, and that's what people want to do. Or you can either scare them or you engage them in this, this play drive. So the best thing I could do at that time when she took the little nip, I just paused and stopped for a minute and didn't reinforce her for a moment and then moved on. I didn't want to make a big deal about it. I will watch for that to become, if it becomes a pattern out of the blue like that, she's just a young little horse who's learned to like people. So she is not, it wasn't a bad thing. She was just seeing if she could do that. It's up to me to be sure I do the least reinforcing thing. So I'm not reinforcing that behavior and odds are that behavior will go away on its own. But I'll also start reinforcing the times. It was when I was reaching over to do something and she's like, well, and so I will also take advantage of the times when she keeps to herself at those points and reinforce that behavior I'm looking for. So I think that is an important thing. One of the things I want to talk about real quick here is the use of what's called the differential reinforcement of an incompatible behavior. So, but, but basically what it is, I want to teach a behavior to replace the incorrect behavior. So if I have a you know, with that little gal, if she's wanting to get too close and nip when I'm bent over, you know, doing things, I want to teach her instead. When I bend over, I just want you to stand up and then I'm going to reinforce that behavior. So instead of just focusing on what went wrong, think, well, what do I want? So it goes back to thinking, what is the behavior I want to see more of? Focus on the behavior you want to see more of. So instead of thinking, I'm going to correct that behavior, instead, Try to set them up for success where it doesn't happen. And then two, that where you can also be drawing attention to the behavior you would like to see replace that behavior. So there you go. Those are our little lessons for today. All right. You can listen to most on most of your favorite podcast players to this and many of the other horseradionetwork.com uh, podcasts. So I recommend downloading the app. It makes it free. It's easy and it makes it easy to follow your favorite podcast. There's a million podcasts. Okay. Maybe a million's too many, but there's a lot of podcasts on there with different disciplines, different breeds, different subjects, different things, some fun, some light, some serious, some just informative. And I, so I really recommend you, you go there and listen. If you want to learn more about me and what I'm doing and what I'm up to, you can go to, you can search shaunacarish.com and you will find Shauna Karish and you will find Via Nova 
and you can find on my website there on the website, which is attached to Vianova. You can find podcasts. You can find all the old podcasts. You can find Ashana's. You can find all sorts of resources. And again, you can find clickers and targets and things like that too. And 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 you can also find out what I'm up to because Vianova will have a schedule for what I'm up to. So. There you go. That's how you can keep posted with all of what's happening with Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com and Shauna Karish at vianovatraining.com. And, and that's it. I think that about covers it for today. So until next time, enjoy getting your horse on target. <laughs>